The Katie Swatis Social Justice Podcast is now available on iTunes and elsewhere with the award-winning adventure novel Irreversible Damage by J.L. Reese. The series is narrated by actor Mike Gomez. In this first book of a series on contemporary social justice activism, Katie learns that changes affecting her life were instigated by forces and people far removed from her and whose greed for a political and financial game means more to them than the lives they sacrificed along the way. Irreversible Damage, the Katie Swatis Social Justice Series, a novel by J.L. Reese, narrated by Mike Gomez. Chapter 9, The Practice Summer was coming to an end, and the Swatis kids were happy to be back in school. Katie, as usual, rushed through the hallways with a determined look, organizing her study materials. She strategized ways to reach her goal of being first in class and prepared for any extra projects offered, which would take her to the above 4.0 grade point average she needed to have any real chance to be accepted into Harvard, her life's dream. Mark, on the other hand, walked the school hallways, basking in the idea that he was now a cool senior varsity football player. This is going to be a year to remember, he thought. Mark had not forgotten the look in Savannah's blue eyes at the end of last year and had been reeling over it all summer, hoping to run into her somewhere around Paradise Valley. Sadly for him, it never happened. Being a wide receiver with dreams of getting a football scholarship to a major university enabled Mark to neglect his studies. On the other hand, Zach McIntosh was NFL material. He had a natural talent, the ability to rally people around him, and excellent leadership skills. Zach and Mark met as young children and played soccer together for a couple of years, but when the teams changed, they lost contact. As sophomores at Washington High, they reconnected and immediately liked each other because they were both good guys and loved football. They both had competitive natures and wanted to try to outdo each other, occasionally getting into trouble for good-natured pranks toward each other, their teachers or fellow students. They never put people down or bullied them, just pranks. On the other hand, Fellow varsity player Cole Jones was a troubled kid. When Cole was 10, his dad, a DEA detective, was killed in the line of duty by a small-time Mexican gangster high on PCP. The man had ties to the Wattis cartel. Cole's mom, Colleen, was devastated and for a long time could not get out of bed. She received her late husband's pension and a fund put together by fellow Police officers helped her and Cole. With this money, Colleen, who was very shrewd, made a good investment and bought a fixer-upper in Paradise Valley. She went back to teaching and worked hard to give Cole a good life. Up until his father's death, Cole's childhood was idyllic. But afterward, he felt his world had shattered to pieces. Reasonably, he carried a deep resentment against Mexican gangsters and his mom often talked about her hatred towards those damn Mexican criminals. Trump and Arpaio's character assassination campaign of Mexicans 
found the perfect target in Cole. A polite and loving son to Colleen in front of others, he was awkward, antisocial, and displayed a dark side. Occasionally he would torture lizards with a magnifying glass of the sun. Seeing the lizards and the other small animals squirm gave him pleasure and allowed his rage to vent. Cole was a good-looking teenage boy with a handsome face, framed by the light brown hair that in the sun looked red and complimented his hazel eyes. But he had terrible skin, marked by heavy acne. Average height, with a thin runner's build. Cole had speed and endurance. Because of his awkwardness, he was not popular at school or with the girls, which made him resentful. Cole hung out with David Whitmire, a skinny kid whose nickname was Bones, and Anthony Colisi. Both kids were outcasts, had dark outlooks on life, and liked to think of themselves as anarchists. They hated authority and anyone who got in their way. Cole, David, and especially Anthony were bullies. They enjoyed terrorizing the freshmen and anyone who exuded weakness. Anthony was six foot two, overweight, and looked huge and menacing, especially to the young freshmen who had not had their growth spurts. Washington High was a school with no tolerance for bullying or abusive behaviors, so David and Anthony were often in and out of the principal's office. Cole, on the other hand, was the smart ringleader who found ways to go unnoticed. It was an unusually hot late summer afternoon in Paradise Valley, just over 120 degrees. The beautifully maintained artificial turf of Washington High had to be constantly sprayed with cold water to keep it cool for practice. The varsity team practiced without their full gear and took constant water breaks. The coach considered canceling practice due to the extreme heat, but they had to be ready for the big game, which was the following week. The heat made everyone testy and impatient, especially Coach Murphy. On the shaded side of the field, the cheerleading team practiced by dancing and singing their cheers. A commotion happened when the team mascot almost passed out from sunstroke. Eleven, twenty-two, hike, hike. Zack took four steps backwards. The starting defensive line was protecting him. Mark ran a perfect route. Zack threw a beautiful spiral, but it was slightly behind Mark, and Mark dropped the pass. What the hell, Mark? This is the third time you've dropped a perfect pass, said Zack. Hey, it wasn't perfect. It was behind me, and I had to really turn to try to grab it, said Mark. Bullshit, said Zack. I can see it in your eyes. You're distracted because the cheerleaders are practicing behind us. Zack was right. Mark had noticed Savannah kicking and jumping in her cheerleader outfit, and he had lost concentration. Cole, wanting to humiliate Mark, screamed, I think Marky's in love with Savannah. Cole, don't be an asshole, said Mark. Mark, don't get any ideas, said Zack. Savannah and I have been talking all summer. She likes me, so hands off. Cole jumped in and said, Ha ha, yeah, Marky, hands off. Plus, why would she choose a wetback Mexican over Zack? Mike's brain started buzzing with rage, and words could not come out of his mouth. He was tired of Cole's attacks 
and lunged at Cole, who was agile and dodged him. Mark slipped and fell to the ground. Cole looked at Mark. Haven't you heard? Trump is going to build a wall so you fucking Mexicans can't get in anymore. Zack could not believe Cole had said such racist words. He defended Mark. Cole, you're really an asshole. It's pretty offensive. What the heck has gotten into you? Mark got up and was ready to charge at Cole again when Coach Murphy stomped towards them and yelled, What the hell is going on over there? Coach looked at Mario Garcia, who watched the whole thing. Who started this? Mario was afraid to say anything, but his eyes pointed at Cole. Coach Murphy was not amused and said, I'm not going to deal with childish behavior. Mark and Cole, next time, one of you will be off the team. As Murphy walked away, Cole turned to Mario and said, Fuck you, Mario. You had to be a chicken shit, tattletale Mexican. Screw you, Cole. I'm not Mexican. I'm Venezuelan. It's very different. Same shit, said Cole. Mark's head was spinning. He had never been a victim of racist remarks and never thought of himself as a Mexican. Then he remembered his dad's words. When people hear Trump offend Mexicans on national TV, that makes it okay for them to think that way and say those things. Later that day, Mark and Zach were at their lockers talking about the practice. They had almost forgotten about the fight when Savannah approached Mark and said, What happened? I saw the commotion. Did you guys get into a fight? Mark felt excited that Savannah was interested in what happened to him and said, Not really. Cole was just being an asshole. Zach, wanting to show off as a big man in front of Savannah, said, Cold almost kicked the shit out of Mark. I had to step in to protect him. Come on, Zach, I can defend myself. And it was really nothing. Zach, why do you always have to be the hero? Asked Savannah. What? You're taking Mark's side, said Zach. Whatever, Zach, Savannah said. She turned toward Mark and said, You really look good at practice. I look forward to seeing you at the game. She said, Bye to the two testosterone-filled boys and walked away. Mark grinned like the cat that ate the mouse, while jealousy raged in Zach's heart. On the other side of campus, Katie sat in the front row of her history class. She had made a special request to be in Mrs. Smith's class again because she liked her so much. Mrs. Smith loved Katie back, as did most of her other teachers, Katie was determined to get good grades, interested in all subject matters, smart, polite, and helpful, which was refreshing for her teachers. On this particular day, Mrs. Smith instructed her students to choose a relevant and current news story with historical implications and write an essay. Because this essay was critical to their final grade, Mrs. Smith's approval was required for each essay subject. The students had to justify their topic to her and to the class in one minute or less and explain the historical relevance of the current news piece. Katie chose one of Trump's speeches about Mexicans, and it was Katie's turn to justify her choice. Mrs. Smith, I've chosen Mr. Trump's June 16th speech because I believe it has far-reaching consequences. Echoing her dad's words, Katie continued, 
The type of hate speech Trump is using against Mexicans has the potential to encourage and promote racism. The idea that a wall has to be built to keep Mexicans out gives a wrong message that Mexicans are undesirable. Katie ended her presentation almost choking with a combination of courage and embarrassment and said, I am a Mexican-American and this specifically affects me. It took courage because it's cold. Most students never considered Katie to be a Mexican. Mrs. Smith was in disbelief. Katie was so smart and one of her favorite students, and she didn't see her as Mexican. Mrs. Smith was very confused. She abruptly said, Okay, that's fine. Mrs. Smith's quick response made Katie think that Mrs. Smith did not like her subject or her presentation. But, unbeknownst to Katie, Mrs. Smith was conflicted, and Katie's subject matter and words made an impact on her. Traditionally, when Mrs. Smith thought of Mexicans, she thought about the nice but smelly gardeners, the cleaning ladies, the Mexicans selling flowers outside the cemetery, or the woman selling fruit in the park. She thought the Mexicans as docile servants and was never scared of them. Mrs. Smith had always been an Arpaio admirer. She felt he was tough on crime, which was good. Over time, Arpaio's consistent character assassination of Mexicans made her see them differently as criminals. Arpeo had been using Mexicans as scapegoats to promote his campaigns against crime. All of those fear tactics had an effect on Mrs. Smith. Sometimes she worried that cartel criminals were ready to cross the border and destroy America's peaceful streets. As Mrs. Smith listened to Katie's speech, she realized she was surrounded by Mexican-Americans, people like Katie, her dental hygienist, Lupe, the chatty hairstylist Mary, who never said they were Mexican. She thought of two co-workers, Jane and Bernice, who looked Mexican and always brought homemade tamales to special events, but were offended if anyone asked them if they spoke Spanish. They clearly resented if anyone saw them as anything other than American, and Mrs. Smith felt that was the way all Mexicans and Americans should feel. She felt the Mexicans should integrate, not show pride in being Mexican. What do they have to be proud of anyway, she thought. In fact, she had rarely seen any second-generation Mexican be outspoken about their ancestry. Katie's disclosure was strange and unexpected. Mrs. Smith was shocked when Katie showed her pride in her Mexican heritage. From that point forward, Mrs. Smith was confused. She realized it bothered her to see Mexican-Americans showing pride in their Mexican heritage. She wasn't aware that outside influences were turning her from a sweet, caring woman into a person filled with prejudiced attitudes. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts for the Katie Suarez Social Justice Podcast based on the 2019 Best Latino Focus Fiction novel Irreversible Damage by J.L. Reese. The series is narrated by actor Mike Gomez. A timely and poignant novel about a young Latina's courage, about personal growth, and following your heart, no matter how costly it may be. Kim Chavez, La Plaza de Cultura y Artes.